right, boys and girls, episode 122 with Charles is about to start, and this interview was just plain awesome as Charles has a lot of life experience when it comes to training, running a business, and just life in general. I believe he is reaching up to 60 years old and he still lifts like a badass and can deadlift 500 pounds so I thought it would be great to have him on to kind of you know share his secrets to you know healthy joints what he did in his training career what he does now in his business career and just pick his brain and we got a lot of questions off of Facebook and Instagram and he just nails them out of the park so let's get right to it here's Charles Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is the amazing Charles. Say hello. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Um, So for the audience, I always like to break the ice for the first question and ask my guests, what do you got planned for the weekend? Uh, I'm just going to be, I'm, my life is like, my life is entertaining for me by my own standards, but I'm pretty boring, like when observed from the outside. So I'm just going to be writing and training and like, you know, nothing to, I really do enjoy what I do. So I'm kind of always either training or writing or coaching people or doing things to get better at those activities. Um, I probably need a life of some sort. I probably need some kind of a vacation or a hobby or something, but yeah. uh, not yet. So we'll see. But yeah, so just the usual. Nice. Well, the other question I was going to ask is we were talking before we started recording that you live out in Scottsdale. So what's the thing to do out there if someone's never visited? Uh, well, we're real close. Like um, there's there's a handful of things. People, we have like spring baseball spring training, uh, I think is right about now. So a lot of people come in for that. People come here to golf. Um, people come here to hike. Like, we're pretty close to Sedona, if you've heard of that, mm-hmm. a couple hours away from Sedona. And uh, we're, you know, it's kind of nice. We're in close proximity to San Diego and Las Vegas, so you can kind of get to a lot of cool destinations pretty quickly. But, you know, people just like the weather and the sunshine and, and all of that. I think I think the climate is what drives all the, we call them snowbirds, you know, all the people yeah. from other climates who come here in the winter and jam our highways and <laughs> nice. okay, so, but you know it feeds into the economy so it's all good yeah because um like again we were talking before we started recording like out of here in vancouver we get so much rain the entire like we're really similar to like seattle it just rains all the sure. freaking time so a lot of my clients will fly out to arizona because it's like a I think a three-hour flight if you have it direct. At most. Yeah. yeah, at most. So it's super easy to get to in your same time zone and you're in the sun, so no complaints, right? Yeah, for sure. And it's amazing. I always – it's amazing the amount of, like, Canadian license plates you see when you're driving yeah. around here. And even, like, I've seen uh, Alaska license plates. Wow. Which always prompts me to, like, I wonder if they ship their car down here or if they somehow drive it or I don't know how they do it, but they get here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So for the audience that don't know who you are, can you tell them who you are, what you do, and how did you first get into this industry? Cool. Um, How can I keep this kind of brief? Uh, So I have this joke that I'm like the oldest, skinniest guy you ever saw deadlift 500 pounds. (laughs) But but so I'm just I'm I'm 58 years old. Um, I am a a fitness coach and I do a lot of writing in the industry. So these days, particularly, I do a lot of writing for uh, testosterone.net and bodybuilding.com and a few other websites. I do a lot of guest posting for guys like uh, John Russin and Tony Gentlecore and nice. Brett Contreras, people like that. And so, uh, and and I'm working on a couple of books. So I, I'm kind of like a coach and author, I guess. Uh, but you know, I'm just somebody who's always been obsessed, kind of, with with fitness and strength and body composition. And um, and that all, a lot of people don't know this about me. That stuff all stemmed from my former life as a martial arts student and instructor. So I I just was, there used to be this show, the older people listening in will be familiar with this. There used to be a show on television called Kung Fu with uh, a guy named David Carradine. And as like a 10 year old kid, I was watching this and I was just utterly transformed 
by, by something about the show. And so I found a, a karate school, and I just was obsessed. And I, I kind of was involved in the martial arts from age 10 to about 31. I was a school owner and teacher and competitor and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I'm just not naturally athletic. So I guess to my credit, rather than giving up, I just kind of knuckled down and started really studying anatomy and kinesiology and fitness training and all those sorts of things just as, as a way to try to improve myself as a martial artist. And then, you know, of course, later on, that ended up being kind of my full my full time thing. So, um, so yeah, so that's that's kind of the the crib notes, I guess. Okay. Um, so, like right now, do you still train anybody like one on one? Do you like do group stuff, yeah. online coaching? Like, what's your whole? Yeah. So I do I do online. I've got people. I've got a great bunch of folks like all over the world, actually, like literally everywhere. And uh, and then I've got a small handful of people I work with here in Scottsdale one-on-one. Um, strangely enough, all my local clients, well, there's one exception, but they're almost all women. Um, and then almost all of my online clients are men. And I have no idea why that is, but this is how it's shaken down. And uh, But I enjoy both of those. And um, I you wouldn't want to do any of these things, like, full-time. Like, I don't think I would want to train people full-time in person or online, nor do I think I would want to write full-time. But for me, at least, you know, all those little pieces of the pie are kind of synergistic. So when I'm having a discussion with a client, that ends up being a, an article topic down the road or, you know, things like that. So uh, I, I like to still have my hands in this stuff. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, so kind of a combination of all that. But I like kind of like that because it kind of keeps their schedule a little bit more interesting because I think a lot of younger coaches, they get into the industry and they want to train like 40 hours a week and they burn out really quick and they're like, God, I don't want to go to the gym anymore. But, you know, in your case where you can maybe spend like 10 hours training people in person, another 10 online, another 10 writing and then whatever yeah. else you do, like yeah. it kind of keeps things interesting. For sure. And I mean, I think it just depends on a lot of things. I mean, it depends. It sounds funny, but it depends how much you like people and how extroverted or introverted you are and how much energy you have. And, uh, you know, it it's a special person that can be working with people one on one 40 hours a week. I mean, you can do it. But I mean, if you're really going to be the best part of your client's day, which should be your goal as a coach, um, it's hard to be the best part of, of somebody's day 40 hours a week. I mean, it's just most people just are not that good. <laughs> but if yeah. you do it 10, 10, 15, 20 hours a week, I think most people can pull that off. So I think it's a quality versus quantity kind of uh, formula, kind of. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. I think another like cool thing for you to kind of talk about, too, is like what advice would you give to younger coaches? Because, you know, with these, I would, I would still call them millennials right now coming into the industry, they're wanting to like make as much money as possible. They want to travel a lot and they want everything to go as fast as possible. And I'm victim to this too. It's like when I'm building my online brand, I'm like, man, I want this to happen in like three months. But in reality, it like takes years to build a really strong online community. So what would yeah. your advice to, what would your advice be for those younger coaches? Well, I think, like, um, I knew you were going to ask me this question, so I've thought about this. And I think, to start with, I think it's really useful to get super clear about what you're trying to get out of it from the start. So the most obvious thing that comes to mind is that you want to you want to be financially successful, but maybe really what you want to be is, a, is an influencer. Uh, maybe you want to have, uh, you know, a, an impact on, on, on your field or... Maybe you're doing it just because you want to learn, or maybe it's because you want to help people. I mean, those are all reasons that people become trainers and coaches. Um, that hopefully, you're not doing it because you just like to lift and it, and you know, hanging out in the gym, checking out the girls is like like the best job option you can come up with. Like, hopefully, that's not your motivation. Although, for sure, it is for a lot of people. But I think it's really important to, to be clear about what you're trying to get out of that. And if it's, if you're, you know, it just seems natural to talk about the financial aspects of this. The one thing I tell people a lot is that being successfully financially as a coach has much, much, much more to do with developing business and marketing skills 
then it has to do with your you know knowledge of fitness or your coaching skills and that's kind of a sad thing to say in a certain way but i think there's a presumption that i see this with people all the time who are just taking seminar after seminar after seminar and i'm, I'm not against seminars but you probably know enough already um, in terms of how to train people and, and you know how to get people to eat and so forth, that's probably not you're going to be your Achilles heel when it comes to making money as a coach. Um, so I, I think your you know your your willingness to kind of treat it as a business and to really educate yourself in in business and marketing and the best single resource for this. It's a book called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people listening will be familiar with this book. But basically, the highlight of that book is that is the realization that just because you are good at a craft does not mean you will be good at building a business to sell that craft. They are entirely 100% different skill sets. And it's quite possible to be extremely good at what you do and not make money from it. And it's also very common to make a lot of money from a craft that you're not very good at at all. Uh, so I wish the world wasn't that way, but it is. No, that makes sense. And like, you know, chatting with people like Jordan Syed, you kind of get to a point where you just need to start doing stuff, right? Like focusing on building your business and not like, oh, I should buy another book on training and read it and not do anything about it. Like you need to start doing the work to actually get your name out there and just be present. But then like the other thing too, that I see a lot is these younger coaches coming in, they get certified and right away they start spilling all this information online and they're trying to like present themselves as this all knowing professional. But in reality, yeah. they've been there for like six months. And like, I remember yeah. when I first started, I kept my mouth shut for a long time and just listened to everyone. And until I started feeling more confident that I had an opinion, that's when I started talking. Yeah, and I guess I guess you want to avoid either extremes, uh, either yeah. extreme when it comes to that spectrum, right? So, so uh, the type of person that you just mentioned is probably the type of person who's a little bit more business-minded, mm -hmm. and maybe they're putting themselves out in the world before they're as qualified as they could be, so that's not ideal. But then on the other hand, you have people who are very, very passionate about what they do, and by definition, if you're like that, then you never feel that you're ready. You never feel that you are good enough. And by the way, that's a great attitude to have when you want to master something. But if you want to make a business around the thing that you're trying to master, it's not the best. So somehow you have to find the sweet spot, I think, between those two extremes, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I think another cool question to ask you now that we're talking about life advice is what advice would you give yourself when you were in your early 20s? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know, I wish, like, I, I don't really have regrets per se, and I'm happy with where I am right now for the most part. I mean, I'm not, you're never completely satisfied or there'd be no reason to keep working. But um, so I still have aspirations that I'm, that I'm working toward. But in terms of, I don't, are, are you talking about in terms of fitness development? Um, let's go first with fitness development and then just yeah. overall life. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I mean, I think I wish I had spent more time kind of like bodybuilding when I was younger. Uh, or just to put it another way, just building muscle. Um, I was always more interested in, in being strong and athletic, and I, I would never have admitted it at the time. I viewed the whole idea of training for appearance as being kind of narcissistic and kind of beneath me, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's funny how once you start looking good, though, then you quickly, uh, you know, uh, abandon that, that point of view. It's kind of funny how that works. But, I you know, and so I did okay, don't get me wrong. I mean, I was... At 18, I was six foot two, 130 pounds, and at 58, 40 years later, I'm about 195 pounds and probably leaner than when I weighed 130. So it's not like I haven't done well, but I wouldn't mind being like like 240 at 10% body fat. That'd be pretty fun, but uh, those things are harder to achieve when you're older. So I did a lot of heavy singles and triples and sets of five when I was. Um, you know, in my 20s and 30s, and I wouldn't do a lot of volume 
I was just after like PRs, and uh, that has a, a benefit, which is that I'm I'm pretty strong today. But um, I could have put on a fair amount more mass. So I always tell young people like. You never know how much muscle you're going to want to have when you're older, and that muscle does a lot of good things for you. So put it on while you can, and that's not to say you can't do it at all when you're older. But if you've been training in the gym for 40 years, um, it's hard to drum up stuff in the gym that's threatening enough to your body where it will adapt further, if that makes sense. So I just think when, when the window of opportunity is there, you should, you know, that, that muscle's like money in the bank, and um, I, I think that you should work on that as somebody who's younger. At least that's that's what I would do differently if, if, I, if I was 18 years old right now. Mm -hmm. And then also the, um, the nutritional habits to back it up. You know, uh, didn't know how to eat when I was I, – I think you go through phases like – you, first, you don't know how to eat. The second phase is you know how to eat, but you don't have the discipline to actually do it. <laughs> and, then, and then hopefully you get to the third phase where you know what to do and you can get yourself to do it. Uh, so, uh, I mean, when I look back in my 20s, my diet was like super low protein and, you know, high carb and high fat and just the exact opposite of what you want. Nice. What, what you want to do. But, you know, I survived it nonetheless. But um, yeah, so I think in terms of fitness, I think that's kind of where I would go. And and you know I you know I started lifting in the late well yeah the late 80s. So the level of knowledge we had then was really low compared to what we have today. So needless to say, you know I made plenty of mistakes. No, oh, fair enough. And the other thing I was going to ask is like, how did your training program look back then? Like, did you kind of stick to like powerlifting or like what what did you do? So I think one of the very first actual programs I did was through a company called Bigger, Faster, Stronger. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with that? I, I feel like I've heard that before, but I so don't know it's where. Kind of, it's kind of like a program designed for high school football teams. Okay. Um, I don't know how I got hooked into this whole thing. But, you know, it was kind of like three days a week, and, uh, uh, you know, it was kind of like the big three plus power cleans. And there was a little work with, like, vertical jumps and things like that. But it was really kind of like, you know, three sets of five, that kind of that kind of work, and just constant push for PRs all the time, which, by the way, is a good thing. But um, it was just all based on upping your numbers on these big core lifts. And funny enough, as I this is just occurring to me now as I say this, in many ways my current training is is similar to that. The primary difference is, is I think people, you just need higher repetition work to get the volume you need to promote work capacity and hypertrophy. And I think that's, you know, if, if all you care about is being strong and fast, I think the low rep approach can get you there for sure. But, uh, you know, for the other attributes, you need, you need more volume for sure. So that's kind of, you know... So I'd be squatting three sets of three or five, four, three, two, one, you know, those sorts of things, yeah. things that would look like how a power lifter might train. Okay, fair enough. Um, which, now, which is fun, by the way, lots of fun. Yeah. For me, at least. Um, so going back to, like, the advice to your 20s now, can you touch on, like, what you tell yourself in your early 20s about, like, life in general? Uh, well, I think... Um, that's a big, big question. It is, yeah. I, I think, I, I think, it's funny. I just did a personality test through um, uh, Jordan Peterson's website. If you're familiar with him, yeah. Uh -huh. And those sorts of things. I mean, I think self knowledge is just an important uh, tool to, <laughs> to have. And like, yeah. you know, I think, I think that's for starters. And and as I was taking that test last week, um, funny to call it a test. It's kind of more of a, a profile, but. Um, I was thinking about how that might have, have had some impact for me had I done it like at age 18 or so. But uh, so I think I think there are habits I wish I had developed more fully when I was younger, and like the ability to delay gratification would be one example of that. Um, and by the way, that showed up in my training. Like, um, you know, I might do one big set of 10, but once I've done it, if I didn't think I could break that number on my next set, I'd just be done, you know. So, so I'd get the immediate gratification of getting a new personal record, which, by the way, that's important. It's a good thing to do. But I never, like, sat there and ground out, like, six sets of ten, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
So, so that's one thing I really like about training is that I think it encourages you to develop good traits and habits and personality characteristics, such as the ability to delay gratification and just work ethic and the ability to kind of uh, prioritize, um, you know, your efforts and, and those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, and I think also going back, I think um, a couple of things. One is that I think people are kind of, you were talking about this just earlier, you, it's useful to, to kind of look at your consumption versus your production. Mm-hmm. And like at least at my stage, and this will vary for people listening, but I've been studying this stuff for like 40-something years. I'm not saying I'm the world's greatest expert. There's certainly plenty of things I don't know. But I'm better off. I need to be producing more than I'm consuming. Uh, so that's something that, that I kind of wish, like, like some of us, you might be one of these people, uh, you become like a professional nerd and, or like a lifelong student, which mm-hmm. again, all of these things have kernels of, of truth and goodness to them. But there's a point where, you know, production is just where you need to be, uh, because, and, and there are people who are like professional seminar takers. And I, I used to be one of those people and you learn from doing it, but at some point you've got to convert that into something you're producing, uh, you know, at least for financial purposes. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think like that personality test, those, those are pretty interesting because just being more self-aware of how you work and how you work with others is like such a huge, huge thing to, to know. And I remember at my old gym, part of the company's like policies, you had to take one of those personality tests. So then one, you'll know your teammates, how to yeah. communicate with them a little bit better. You'll know how you work well, and then your manager will know how to manage you the best. And when I took one of those um, tests, it was more on uh, colors. I can't remember what it was called, but they categorized me um, as a very organized person, which is a gold color, and then half with blue, which is more of an emotional person. And just knowing that just helped me so much in life. Yeah, or, you know, knowing your degree of extroversion mm-hmm. uh, is important because that will tell you what kind of work environments you're going to be most successful at. And it's not to say these things are carved in stone. You can influence them and you can improve yourself and you can change your predilections. But, uh, you know, that's kind of your basic wiring. So, yeah, I think that's 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 good stuff to understand. And um, I think just this is a slight tangent, but looking back to my... Uh, to my educational background, um, I literally, people think I'm joking when I say this, but my parents never kind of taught me that the purpose of college was to prepare for a career. So I just, I just, I just thought it was about like learning stuff, you know? So I just never like, yes, I understood people went to college to be doctors and lawyers. I, I get that. But really in, in my, in, in my heart of hearts, I just didn't really put those two things together, and uh, and so uh, ha- if I were to go back again, I think I would definitely go into either like biomechanics or chemistry. So if you're like 17 years old listening to this and you want to be a coach, I would strongly think about going into one of those two directions because those are the scientific fields that underpin like pretty much everything that we do. Yeah, that's honestly really good advice. Um... The other thing I wanted to get into is like, okay, you're 58 right now and you've had such a long career in lifting. And I'm kind of curious, did you have any big injuries along the way or were you've always been pain-free? Like, can you just dabble in that yeah, a little bit? Uh, yeah. Well, so I would love to just say that my knowledge of training is so superior that I know how to train people so they never get hurt. And I've just had such great habits. And I think I do have pretty good knowledge, pretty good habits. But I mean, first, I just, if I'm being honest, like probably luck had something to do with this. Um, so I'll just admit that, right? At the end. I think I think if you can't confess to that, then you're, you're kind of deluding yourself a little bit. But I actually had a couple of very big knee surgeries in the 80s. Um, but it was, it was kind of like this weird... Um, inflammatory issue that I developed that probably was due to my martial arts training. It didn't really have anything to do with lifting. 
and I had one surgery. My last one in 86 took me like three years to fully rehab from. Um, and it left me like I have limited flexion in my right knee because of scar tissue. So, I mean, I can like do a parallel squat, but no deeper than that. Uh, but aside from that, I don't have any symptoms or anything in that knee, so I'll take it. But, you know, I, I have I've had minor... I mean, I would say when I was doing competitive weightlifting, meaning snatch and clean and jerk in my 40s, I did have a period of like maybe two years where my shoulder kind of hurt like every workout. Hmm. Uh, not, not enough to really make it so I couldn't train, but it was just always kind of an issue. Um, and then one day, not one day, but like just at, at some point it just went away and I have no idea why it went away. And uh, I've never had it since. Um, so those are the worst. I've never really had anything. Like, I, I've, I've buckled my low back, if you know what I mean by that. Like, you're bending over. Mm -hmm. like, you know, one yeah. of the, like I've, had, yeah. I've had that happen a few times, but, like, it always, it always, I was always back to normal within three or four days, and it's only happened a couple of times. And uh, so, I don't know. I think I, I'm not, one thing is I'm not, like, an adrenaline junkie, Um so if if I'm if I'm in the middle of a set of, of eight and on rep five I, I feel something go in, in a muscle or I have pain like I'll just stop um, and you know I think that's what's kept me healthy but um, if you talk to most really high level athletes they're not really wired like that um, I don't think if you talk to any high level power lifter or weightlifter or you know bodybuilder for that matter. Um, those people tend to just kind of push through. So, but I just don't like pain and I don't like missing workouts and I don't like visiting doctors. Um, and I just don't like being out of commission. So, um, I guess that's just, a, an in, an, an inborn personality trait that's kind of, you know, kept me pretty healthy over the years. And then, um, I think I'm, I think... I think I, I've been pretty good at selecting and kind of staying with movements that, that work well for me personally. Um, so, for example, like barbell bench presses are a great movement for a lot of people, but it's not a great movement for everybody. So that's just, I'm not saying that in my case, but there are just some movements, you know, there, there are people that just think that certain movements are absolutely mandatory. You have to conventional deadlift. You have to yeah. squat, ass to grass. Like, no, these are things that are good tools if you can do them safely, but not everybody can. So I think it's important to just have a knowledge of, of what you can do well and what you can't do well. And, um, yes, you should work on your weaknesses and all of that. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think it's important to match the exercise to the person. So those are probably a couple of things. And uh, to, to go back to the lack of adrenaline junkie thing, I was – I was just reminded of about, I think it was about a year ago, I was squatting heavy and I had like 385 on my back and thankfully I was in a rack with safety rails up. But um, this is this video is on YouTube actually. Um, but almost, I get almost to the bottom of the squat and I felt like a pop in my right knee and uh, I just collapsed onto the pins. Like I just, my leg just like left me, it like left the building, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh I, I'm on the floor and I'm like, what did I just do? And I was actually afraid to look at my knee because I thought, I thought maybe my quad had popped off and I, it was like rolled up my leg or something. I looked, I, so I looked down, everything looked normal. So I got to my feet and that was okay. I wasn't in any pain. And uh, so then I did like a very carefully, I did like a body weight squat and that was okay. And a week later I was totally fine. I still to this day don't know what happened. I have no idea. You can actually see in the video, it's something to do with my adductor. You can see my adductor like vibrate or something. I have no idea what happened, but it was, it was minor. But, you know, I've done a lot of competitive powerlifting, and uh, I've not done a powerlifting meet since that day because um, if that had happened in a meet, uh, the spiders would not have caught me at all, and I'd probably end up yeah. in the hospital. So I just, it's just not worth the risk for me. Uh, whereas some people would just like, you know, bull, bull, bully their way through it. But like for me, I just don't want to take those kind of risks. No, that makes sense. And like we were talking about this earlier too, but like just learning how to listen to your body. And like, you know, for me, I'll know that if I do one more rep or one more set of a certain exercise that didn't feel right that day, 
then I'm going to literally, like, screw myself up for the rest of the week. And just like you, I don't like missing workouts. Like, I look forward to working yep. out and, like, yeah, tomorrow's deadlift day. I want to lift heavy. I can't wait for it. And if, you know, I tweak something in my back and I have to wait another week before I can go safely into a lift, That's then, exactly. That's then it's exactly not worth it. it. Yeah. And it takes a while, I think, to develop that self-awareness. But, I mean, I've been doing this stuff 40 years, so I guess, you know, I'm kind of a slow learner, but I've had enough time to figure that out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think I think a lot of it is that. And um, I guess, too, um, I'm very aware of numbers. I'm very aware of my current capacity on, on certain key exercises. I know where I should be on a given day. And I don't do, like, general warm-ups at all. But I'm pretty meticulous about my warm-up sets and, and all of that. So... Um, I mean, warming up is important to me, but I don't like jump on a bike before I lift or that kind of thing. Okay. And like, that was kind of, sorry, go on. No, well, I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do, but just for me, I've just never found that it was the optimal approach for me. So, and that, that leads not to, you know, hold on to your thought there, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, there are things that statistically work best for most people, but you might be an outlier that may not pertain to you. No, that makes sense. And kind of like my next question I was going to ask is like, do you do any like mobility work or soft tissue work to kind of keep no. them? So no, I, okay. I don't do no. And uh, like, I, I would caution people to follow my example because I, I just, it just seems to be something that works well for me. And, you know, I have, I, this is not a part of my system. I have clients who like to foam roll and stretch and I totally let them do it because they tell me it works for them. And who am I to say? So, but for me, like, I don't do any stretching at all. I despise stretching. I don't do foam rolling. I have foam rolled. I never felt that it just, I never felt that the benefit was worth the cost. Now, I always second guess myself and I think, eh, maybe I just didn't give it enough of a shot. You know, I don't know, but I just never have. But I seem to have a pretty good ability to, um, I don't know if I'm good at, like, warming up mentally, like, um, I think about, I've done this several times, but most recently, a couple of months ago, I actually pulled 455 with no belt and no warm-up, like literally no warm-up. I just put the plates on the bar and deadlifted it, and I was fine. Like, not only was there no problem, I wasn't stiff the next day. Um, so I just seem to have the ability to do that kind of stuff for some reason. Okay, yeah. Um, so the next thing part I want to get into because we got a bunch of different questions on Facebook and I, I have this like pet peeve of podcasters you know saying like oh give me your questions and you and listen you to the, them. <laughs> they, they don't ever like they maybe use one that you yeah. saw online you're like what the hell so yeah, I so I always like make sure that I get every single question in um, so the first one I'm going to get into from Sumi, she asks, with everyone so focused on short-term goals, how does he encourage his clients to train for longevity? Man, I know who Sumi is. Yeah. She's a very strong woman. She's uh, she is impressive. <laughs> I think she trains with Lyle McDonald, who yep. is also very impressive and a great coach. So Yeah, um, yeah so I saw that question, and um, I think, like, I actually like the idea of short, short-ish short term goals. Um, I mean, you've got to, I think you have to set goals around time frames that are manageable uh, in, in my way of thinking. I hope I'm not misreading or misinterpreting her question. Mm-hmm. But um, I think, you know, in order to better yourself, sometimes it's best just to you know, take it segment by segment. So I've got a client I was talking to yesterday who has a modest, very modest weight loss goal, but she's, you wouldn't know what to even look at her. She looks great, but she wants to lose like 10 pounds. So, and she, she keeps coming back every session. She goes, you know, I ate like crap again yesterday. And I finally said, you know, why don't you just tomorrow for one day, one, just commit for one day to eat in a way that you think is correct for the goals that you have, you know, just based on your own definition, your own standards, whatever that might be, and just do it and see how that goes. And the next day, just uh, tell me if you feel good about yourself for doing it. Tell me if it was as hard as you thought it would be. And uh, she did it. And she was like, I just freaking felt super empowered. 
that I was, you know, I finally at least did it for one day, and it makes me feel like if I did it for one day, I could do it for two days. And it wasn't as hellish as I was <laughs> anticipating. Like, it's funny enough, like, eating properly for, like, it's not it's not the most fun thing in the world, but it's not terrible either. So I, I guess, I hope I'm not sort of dodging Sumi's question, but I just think if you can do the right things day by day and just kind of take it day by day, I think that's how you kind of get some momentum going. So I recently had a training layoff due to I was I moved and I was sick and I had all these my life was conspiring against me and I wasn't making it to the gym. My first couple of workouts back, I had no my only goal was just to get in the gym and do something. Uh, and this is coming from a guy who loves training and I'm just obsessed with training. It's like my big passion in life. But even me, you know, so that gives me empathy for other people who are kind of more beginners, uh, you know, on that path. Or, or nutritionally, if, if you're eating just like horrifyingly bad, uh, just do a little bit better today than normal and see how that goes. You know, tackle, ta- I mentioned Jordan Peterson earlier. Um, he has this concept of like set your sights lower. <laughs> you know, if you yeah. can't achieve your goals, set your sights lower um, so that maybe you can achieve a lower goal. And then that kind of gives you momentum for the tougher stuff down the road. So. That's kind of my approach, and am I am I sidestepping her question by saying that? Um, I think she might be just like referring to the idea that a lot of clients are like, you know, they sign up with their coach, or like, okay, hey, three months, I want to drop sixty pounds, let's go, and you're like, yeah, okay, um, that's probably yeah. not going to happen. It might take a little longer, like educating the client that, okay, your goal of sixty pounds can happen, but realistically. Maybe like in two years if you do everything right. Yeah, I, I see your point. And so, yeah, and I think you have to be—I think you have to become invested in the process above and beyond being invested just in the result. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the the clients that I fear for are are the people who work with me who just say, "Just tell me what to do." Um, I just am nervous about my ability to to kind of push them down the path. But when I have questions, when I have clients who ask me questions about uh, okay, Charles, how come we never do low reps and high reps in the same workout? Or, hey, Charles, I was watching this video, and they were talking about low bar squats, and I wanted to ask you about that. Those are the people, like, I know they're going to do well because they are invested. They're investing their time and energy, and they're trying to learn. And I think I think that's where you have to get yourself. You have to see the value you know, the the um, secondary value, I guess, to just putting the time and effort in and kind of learning about the craft and not just ask, not just trying to get the result. I think that's, I, I think that's a big key. And I always say, like, if you're going to learn, if, if you want to be really good at uh, investing, I mean, you could hire somebody to do it for you, and, and that's cool, and that's what you should do if you don't know anything about it, but if you were somebody who went and took courses and went to seminars and listened to YouTube videos about investing and you read books and you talked to people, I'm going to put my money on that person, you know? So I think that's kind of my big theme on that. No, it makes sense. And even your example with like the small stuff, I think that's really important too because, you know, most clients, if you give them a list of 30 things they need to change, it's not going to happen. And yeah. I think I gave this example before on my show where I had a client a couple months ago and we started talking about his nutrition and I noticed he never said anything about water. And I'm like, oh, so how much water do you drink? He's like, none. I'm like, yeah. all right, well, how does one glass a day sound? There's there's something <laughs> we can work on. Yeah. And he's yeah, like, and, yeah. Or, or, you know, a related, like if, if you are trying to lose body fat and your nutrition is just atrocious, then let's get a handle on how many calories we're eating per day. And I don't care if it's McDonald's or processed foods or whatever, but let's just get the calories under control first. And then once that becomes, um, you know, second nature, then we have the conversation about, hey, why don't we try to get our macros kind of, let's let's push the protein up and the fat down a little bit. And then once we get that in order, then maybe we start talking about, you know, maybe half your meals shouldn't be coming from McDonald's. Maybe we should think more about, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables, and, and maybe we'll start looking at that a little bit. And then maybe as a, at the very end of that whole journey, maybe you start talking about supplements and meal timing and meal frequency and things like that. But, you know, you go after the things that matter the most, and 
you know, to your point, you take these things one at a time. And I think as fitness pros, I think we often lose touch with what it feels like to be a beginner. Um, and so that's why I like training people too. It kind of keeps me more in touch with, with that. You know, you forget how much you've learned. And when I had this recent training layoff, actually I realized like even I was having trouble getting back into training and it really shocked me. And I just realized, wow, I guess, I guess when you train consistently week in and week out for years, you just develop a momentum that you, you lose appreciation for because it's just an ingrained part of your life. And you don't even realize you have it and, until you stop doing it. Oh, definitely. Um, so next question uh, from Deb Nick Vol. Uh, asks, recovery time for those over 50 that train hard. Okay, cool. Well, I I think it's useful to start with what does recovery mean? I didn't see this question, by the way, so this is a good one. Um, And I I like Dr. Mike Israel and Dr. James Hoffman have a company called Renaissance Periodization, and they've got some good resources on this subject. But um, recovery means a return to expected levels of performance. Um, so if, if that means strength, you know, it could mean strength or mobility or speed or endurance or whatever, but it's a return to expected levels of performance. And uh, you might wonder why the definition doesn't say a, a, a return to uh, higher levels of performance. And that's because depending on the situation, like, for example, for me, I still get occasional PRs in the gym, but I'm not... You know, and, and this sounds like a concession, but I'm not necessarily looking for new one rep max PRs in my lifts because I'm almost 60 and I've been training 40 years. Like, you know, I, I wish our potential was unlimited, but, you know, at a certain point you get close to your limits and, and those, those events are fewer and far between. So, but I know that if I'm in good shape on a given day, I should be able to deadlift like 500, that kind of thing, or I should be able to do four or five for 10. And if I can't, then it means I'm not recovered. So I think that's the first place to start. Then the second thing I would say on that subject is age is only one factor of many that affect recovery. And and it is a factor. But one thing that's kind of um, uh, unfortunate about people who are training and they're in their 40s or 50s or 60s is they view like age as this huge Achilles heel and, and that it's the only factor that really defines them or differentiates them as, as a lifter. And it is a factor, but um, it's quite common to have people of that age who, you know, really the limiting factor is their sleep quality or their life stress yes. or just their nutritional habits or their orthopedic uh, status, you know. So, you know, I hate, the, I hate the old saying age is just a number. I hate that because it's just false. It's not just a number. And the fact that it's false is why you're saying it in the first place. You're trying to talk yourself out of something you know to be true. But it's, it's just one factor of many, and I don't put any extraordinary emphasis on it. Um, so I just think that if, if your numbers are where they should be, you're recovering well enough. And, and if not, you're not. And so the first thing that you want to bring down is volume a little bit, if that makes sense. I mean, there, there's a lot of different potential applications of this. But the first is, is that if you're hitting the performances you expect to be hitting, then you are recovering, and you can just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, but if not, then you have to start looking at, you know, and I, I think to me the biggest three things that affect recovery are your sleep, your calories, and stress. So then you start looking at those factors. And the, the, the more that those three items are in place, the harder and more frequently you can train. But, um, you know, I, I'm training between three and four days a week pretty hard, like two-hour workouts and lifting big weights and everything. So, and I'm almost 60, so, and, and I'm nothing special athletically, trust me. So, and, and another thing that, uh, that, that you need to consider is just how big and strong you are, right? And also how tall you are. Um, those things affect recovery. And, and your gender, for that matter. You're, you know, males need typically longer recoveries than females. And uh, I'll actually backtrack a bit. Probably the biggest reason is because males are typically bigger and stronger. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you're 55 years old and your maximum deadlift is 95 pounds, you could probably deadlift almost every day. Um, but 
if you're 55 years old and you can deadlift 500 pounds, then maybe you can pull once a week. So I think that's really the um, one of the biggest factors that people don't pay enough attention to when it comes to recovery. Okay. Um, I, I know lots of people, by the way, in their 40s and 50s mm-hmm. and 60s who train like animals. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's just because they've managed their nutrition and, and sleep and stress levels well. Um, so, yeah. Um, so this is great for the next question because Sherry asks, uh, ask how to keep going when you feel exhausted due to other life factors. I can sometimes rally, but I often either push myself until I get sick. Yeah, so, I mean, gosh, I always feel like I'm sidestepping the question, but, like, I think you need to attend to those other life factors. Yeah. I mean, the, the answer is not to push through in the gym. The answer is to get your life straightened out. And, and I don't mean this in any kind of <laughs> judgmental yeah, way. Yeah, like yeah. We, all, we all struggle with this kind of stuff. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of times the biggest uh, limitation to your training is just your life. And if your life is in disarray, you're, you're just not going to be, you know, you're not going to be able to train in a way that's effective and that you can recover from. You just, you just won't be able to. Um, so I, I think that's what I would do. And, and, again, I would look at, you know, stress, calories, and sleep. Um, primarily, uh, those are the things that, that I think have the biggest impact. And um, yeah, so don't don't push through. Like a lot of times, your workouts, at least with my clients, um, a lot of times the, their workouts are the only thing in their day that can be modified. You know, because they have a job, they have to go home to their kids, they've got roles and responsibilities. Those things cannot be altered. So sometimes your training is the only thing that you can modify in order to improve your recovery. No, I completely agree with you, and that's what I do with my clients. Like The moment they walk through the door, I ask them, like, how are you feeling? How's your day going so far? And to kind of gauge where their energy levels at, are at, and we always modify if they're like, oh, my kid was up all last night, I barely got any sleep, and I'm like, we're not pulling heavy today. We're just going to get you moving. And they end up feeling actually better by the end of the hour. And they're like, okay, yeah. I think I can finish my day off and not feel like complete shit. Yeah, and it's important not to view those as compromises because you'll actually get more results from training that way. Um, and by the way, when you were saying you asked people how was your day, like you probably do something that I do but you just didn't mention, which is when somebody walks in the door, I'm looking at their posture and their body language. Yeah. I'm trying to see if I can get any clues about how they're doing before they actually tell me. <laughs> and you can yeah. kind of tell sometimes people walk in and they have a little spring to their step and, uh, you know, a smile and, and whatever. And sometimes people come in kind of dragging ass. So, uh, uh, you know, then, then you ask. So you kind of you, you take those things into consideration as well. And then during the warm-up sets, you just kind of look at how things are going. And, uh, yeah, so um, I think there's a lot that coaches can do to help clients in terms of just – giving them objective feedback on those things. Oh, definitely. Um, so next one is from Instagram. I believe it's Roper400. He says, um, I'd like to hear any ideas for an experienced lifter over 50 who just wants to increase strength but not necessarily build muscle. Interesting. Well, you, you certainly can build strength without building muscle. Um, and I, I think that's fine. I mean, I think, um, you know, despite the fact that I think it'd be cool to weigh 242, like I'm totally fine at 195. I, I don't think that men need to be massively huge. I mean, you can make your own decisions about how big you want to be, right? Like there's no law that says that you have to be huge if you're a guy or tiny if you're a woman. Like you, you, mm-hmm. that's your decision to make. So that's just kind of a tangent. But, but you know, developing muscle is can, you know, can, can contribute to increased strength, obviously, because all else being equal, when you increase the cross-section of a muscle fiber, it, it can produce more force. So, so that's one reason that you should still, in my opinion, train for hypertrophy. The other reason is, is that there's this concept called adaptive uh, um, resistance, which just means that when you do any type of training for a long enough period of time, your body just eventually figures it out and then you don't adapt any longer. So by setting up your training in a way where maybe you train low repetitions for six weeks and then higher repetitions for six weeks, 
you get kind of a an intermittent fluctuating change in training stimulus to kind of keep yourself adapting, you know, more successfully. So I think that's another reason that you should at least do higher repetition um, training. And and honestly, like for me, um, I sort of operate on the presumption that I can't really gain any more muscle because when I try to gain weight, even slowly, like most of it just seems to be fat and, and not muscle. So I, I think I've like already kind of played my cards when it comes to that. And that's okay. That's that's fine. So like my hypertrophy training is not to increase muscle mass. It's to prevent the loss of muscle mass. Um, so regardless of where you are on that spectrum, I think that's kind of a good way to think about it. But you know, to answer his question directly, uh, this will be maybe the one question I do answer directly. Um, you know, if you want to get stronger without getting bigger, then you keep your repetitions low, um, five or under, because that will limit the total amount of training volume that you perform. And it's training volume that really is the primary driver of muscle mass. And that's why you see um, competitive lifters, like in the sports of weightlifting and powerlifting, typically do two to three to four reps per set because that creates enough of a stimulus to improve strength without the, the volume that's necessary to, to gain muscle. Um, but I'd go after the muscle too, or at least do the kind of training that typically would stimulate it. These are on the joints as well. Like, um, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, having higher repetition work, I think, um, just gives your, your joints a break as well. Okay, fair enough. Um, so the next question is from Taff, I believe that's how you say it. Um, they ask, what are his overall goals with fitness, long-term health, being able to live more of a fulfilling, active life? It just feels good, or all of the above? Yeah, I guess I guess all of the above. I I don't think I I sort of I recognize that fitness and health are not synonymous topics. I think there's some overlap for sure, but you could be, you could definitely be very fit in specific ways and not be very healthy, and you can also be very healthy and not be fit. And it might be worth talking about that for a moment because people just think like that you have to go to the gym and you have to mm-hmm. count your macros. And uh, I got news for you: there are many, many, many people who've lived happy, healthy, long lives without ever exercising in a formal way or ever stressing about their nutrition. So. Um, you know, you might not be the strongest, fastest, most muscular person who ever lived, but you don't need that to, to be healthy. Um, so that's, that's one thing. But um, I, I, I think, I don't know if I mentioned this before early in the interview, but um, one of the things that also drove me into this kind of pastime is that I, my father who was 48 when I was born. So by the time I was 12, he was 60. And he was kind of like an old 60. Um, and he struck me as being very frail. My mother, too, but particularly my father. And I just remember kind of making a vow that I'm just not going to be that way. Um, so that's one of the things that drove me. So, um, you know, I think that's one of the things that, you know, it's going to happen to you at some point in your life. But... Uh, you know, you want to have kind of that functionality as, as late in life as you can. And so I just organized my goals around, I did, a, I did an article recently for John Russon's website, um, and I talked about four kind of uh, mandatory traits that, that you want to structure your goals around. And that would be just body composition, strength, work capacity, and mobility. And I think if you're attending to those, I mean, sure, there are people who, have a special need or desire to be maybe faster or have better agility or to be more powerful. But if you think about it, if you are strong and lean and have good work capacity and you're mobile, or mobile enough anyway, um, then those other things kind of take care of themselves. I mean, if you improve your body composition in particular, and this is the first trait that, this is the most primary trait in my book, because from a health point of view, if you have high cholesterol, high blood sugar, bad blood lipids, um, you know, uh, uh, what are they, you know, it's like pre-diabetic, but mm-hmm. what, um, I'm trying to think of a term for this, um, 
metabolic syndrome is what they call it, I think. Yep. You know, all if and, and and you have fat to lose, as you get leaner, all of those indexes will improve. And then from a fitness point of view, um, your relative strength gets better, your speed gets better, your power gets better, your strength endurance gets better, your work capacity gets better. Like so just simply by improving your body composition, a lot of these other traits just improve you know, by extension. So I think body composition is huge. And needless to say, like, you just feel better when you look good as well. So that's that's big. And then after that, I, I think strength is, is, is really critical because pursuing higher levels of strength is what helps you to maintain and improve your lean body mass. So I think those two traits are kind of uh, synergistic in that way. And then you want to have a certain amount of work capacity and you want to have a certain amount of uh, endurance or, or, I mean, not endurance, uh, mobility. And uh, I should step back for a moment and say that you don't necessarily have to have all of these traits at high levels, but I think that you should think about, you know, how much mobility do I want and how much mobility do I need? And maybe it's not a particular lot, but, you know, I think it's something worth thinking about. Same goes for work capacity. Um, which I just use that because I don't like the word cardio. So if you like the word cardio, that's fine. But, um, you know, you don't have to be able to run a six-minute mile um, or run a marathon or anything like that. But I think it's worth giving thought to uh, how much endurance do I want to have or need to have, and do I run into situations, and the older you get, this is one that is worth kind of doing some introspection on, what are the common things that I run into in life that are challenging for me physically? So do I find myself in situations where I'm not strong enough or that I don't have enough endurance or I don't have enough mobility? And then that gives you some ideas about, you know, where, where to go in your training. Awesome. So very last question. Where can people find you online? What projects do you have coming out, like speaking engagements or anything else you want to plug away, you can plug right now. Yeah, don't have any speaking engagements coming up. Uh, re- uh, coming up. I haven't done too much of that in, in recent years, but uh, I'm always open to that. But people can find me at staleystrategies.com. Um, I'm also very easy to find on Facebook and Instagram. I have a Twitter account, but I don't... Twitter, you would think Twitter would be good for me because I'm like the master of the short <laughs> soundbite and all that. I'm like, yeah. people, people always say I'm very quotable, but like Twitter just never, I never warmed up to Twitter too much for some reason, but you can find me on Facebook and Instagram on the web at stalystrategies.com. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. I, in terms of projects, I'm working on a couple of eBooks. One is on my, on the training method that I've kind of evolved into over the years that I call primary pattern programming. Uh, so I've got an ebook uh, uh, coming out on that. Uh, probably will be self-published through Amazon is what I'm looking at. And then also I'm doing kind of a semi-autobiographical book about just my life in the fitness industry. And it's kind of a transparent, honest kind of view of the kind of, in, in some ways, I use myself as a cautionary tale in terms of the things that I think I've done wrong over the years, but also just the kind of things that you don't realize if you're kind of a newbie to the whole fitness scene, the, the kind of behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on in the fitness industry that um, that we wish wasn't the case. But um, fitness is a very unique animal, and uh, if you spend a lot of time on Instagram sites, uh, you're aware of that. It's, <laughs> the whole the whole fitness Instagram vortex is very interesting yeah. to me somehow. Uh, super interesting. Well, awesome. This was just plain amazing. So thank you so much for your time. Rafael, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Had a lot of fun. All right. So that's going to wrap up episode 122 with Charles. Hopefully you enjoyed that one as much as I did. And for all of those listeners who started with me from the very beginning, thank you, thank you, thank you. And for every other listener out there who just joined in thank you for your support and if you guys can do me a huge favor is if you are on itunes meaning you are on an iphone please rate my podcast five stars to kind of just push me up into the ranks so we can spread this podcast to more people and the other favor i'm going to ask all of you is to share this podcast with your friends and family and if you have any suggestions feedback or you just want to say what's up 
feel free to reach out to me and I'll happily reach back and just chat with you. So that's it for me this week and I'm going to continue bringing you amazing guests every week and me rambling once a week about whatever is on my mind and that's it for me.